Hi in the hills of Happy Valley, Oregon. Welcome to Until We Meet Again, brought to you by the kind support of Cornerstone Funeral Services in Boring, Oregon, and friends like you. I'm Elizabeth Fournier. This radio broadcast is an expression of our common ground of mortality, because after all, we are all in this together. Today's reading is Lamentations 3, verses 31 through 33. For no one is abandoned by the Lord forever. Though he brings grief, he also shows compassion because of the greatness of his unfailing love. For he does not enjoy hurting people or causing them sorrow. My guest today is Mike Napa. He's the author of more than 60 books, and he's also an entertainment journalist for the e-magazine popfam.com, Pop Culture for Families. He's also published books for all ages with many different companies, but he's best known for his work in children's religious publishing, where he created the award-winning comic book characters Johnny Grove and the Visioner. And he co-created the VeggieTales comic book characters, the Quitter Critter Quad Squad, that's so fun to say. The quitter critter, the quitter critter quad squad. The critter. Now, oh, I'm now now that it's fun, I'm messing it up. The qu- quitter critter quad squad squad. Mike, you're gonna have to take it away. Do that for me. The quitter quitter quad squad. Now, did you intentionally come up with that just to make us silly people say this over and over again and make fools out of ourselves? <laughs> No, they gave me the name and said make some characters out of this. Oh, okay. they did. The joke was on you then. Right. Okay. All right. Wonderful. So we're here to talk about Mike's wonderful book, The Hard Way Home. Now, he wrote this with his lovely wife, Amy. It's a story about the biggest things in life, which is really highly ironic because it ends with a death. When his wife, Amy, was unexpectedly diagnosed with stage 4B uterine cancer, her life and that of her husband's definitely changed forever. Mike, can you take us back to the very beginning? How did you meet your wife, Amy? So uh, Amy and I were students at Biola University in uh, Southern California, and um, I had a class with one of her roommates, and I, I had to miss the class, and so I, I borrowed uh, notes from her roommate. And the roommate said, well, these are notes from my roommate from last year, but they still should be good. So I used the notes to catch up, and then I went to return the notes, and uh, Amy opened the door. And I thought, whoa, hold on a minute. Who is who is this person? <laughs> um, so we uh, didn't really date or anything, but we had friends who were friends and and uh, hung out some. And then one night, do you want the whole like you know the whole big deal here, or you want just kind of a summary there? It's your story, and I love every second of it. All right. Well, so one night, <laughs> summer school happened, and we both were going to summer school. And during the summer at Bio University, they moved everybody into one dorm. At least they did back then. They put all the guys on one side of the dorm and all the girls on the other side, and then we shared a lobby. One night I went down, I think it was a Sunday night, I have to double check, but I went down um, to the lobby to see what was going on down there, and Amy was there, and she was all dressed for a date. She looked, you know, pretty great. And uh, I was like, so, you know, hey, what's going on? And she's like, well, I'm going out with this guy, Afsar. Now, Afsar is the kind of guy you just you really just hate because he was tall and good-looking, and he was from England, so he had this really cool accent, and, and then he was just a very nice person. So just I hated him because, you know, he had everything that I didn't have. Um, the one thing that he didn't understand was American culture, 
And so uh, he came over, and they're chatting, and he says to Amy, hey, look, we need to postpone our, our date tonight because I got invited to a party at UCLA. He had no idea that he was insulting her. He just thought he was, you know, having, having a good Sunday night. So he walked away, and I thought, hey, you know, opportunity doesn't knock twice. I'm going to take advantage of this. I had $6 in my wallet. Um, that was it. Um, but I figured I, maybe that would be enough. And so I said, hey, you know, I'm thinking about going to Mimi's to get some pie. Uh, would you like to come along? And she was like, sure. I have, you know, I've got nothing else to do. Well, just then, um, Afsar came back and said, hey, they moved the party to another night so we could still have our day. And I thought, I better stop this in the bed, nip this in the bed. So I leaned in and I said, well, you know, we're going to get pie at Mimi's. Uh, you can come along if you want. And the look on his face was just priceless. It was that sudden realization of, oh, I made a cultural mistake and, and now I'm about to lose out. So he says, no, no, that's okay. And so we ended up going to Mimi's. Uh, and and I thought, I'm going to let her order first. And then, depending on what she orders, if there's enough left over, I'll order something small for myself. And if she doesn't, if she orders something big, then I'll just give up. Um, but she ordered, you know, I don't remember, some kind of ice cream or pie or something. And it was just enough for me to order the same thing. And I stiffed the waitress that night. I apologize to you, lady, whoever you were all those many years ago. And that was our first day. Ten days later, I realized that I needed to have this woman in my life forever. And so I asked her to marry me. And she said... <laughs> Asked my father. So I called her father, and he approved, and we were married for 30 years. So an American love story all started because of the great American dish, pizza. Well, it was more like just pie. Oh, we, we pie, ah, ah. I didn't have enough, didn't have enough <laughs> right. money to get a, yeah, right. an actual meal. I only had enough to buy the dessert. Was there enough for whipped so. cream on it, too? Uh, I'm sure there was chocolate because she was a big chocolate fan, but I can't remember exactly what else was there. I think it was chocolate, maybe a chocolate pie or something like that. Nice. So here you are 10 days later. You get engaged. You get married. Love of your life. And then here comes this diagnosis. Yeah. So we had, um, we were, uh, I had been working on a, 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 a series of suspense novels. And we decided that when I finished the second one, the manuscript, we were going to go take a trip to Disneyland just to relax and celebrate. And there was a big convention going on there, and we were going to have a good time. And that was going to be, we had our tickets in April, we were supposed to be not April, excuse me, August um, 13th in 2015. And, you know, a few weeks before that, Amy had not been feeling great, and she didn't know exactly what was going on. She wasn't sure, and I told her, I said, you know, you better just go to the doctor and get an antibiotic so that we can uh, go out there because I don't want you to get up on the roller coaster and start throwing up all over you because you, you didn't get an antibiotic. So um, she went to the doctor, and uh, they talking about it, they decided to do an ultrasound, and the um, lady with the ultrasound, she told the lady, I, you know, I'm supposed to go to Disneyland tomorrow, so don't... Uh, uh, make sure everything, I need to make sure everything is taken care of. And she said, oh, don't worry. If there's any problems, I won't let you out of the office. And she laughed. And she did the ultrasound. And then she said, well, um, I hate to tell you this, but I can't let you out of the office. And uh, later that day, uh, they called and let us know that it was cancer. And um, 
for the record, Amy it didn't she didn't cry when they told her it was cancer. She cried when I told her she couldn't go to Disneyland. Oh, add a girl. Yeah. Um, so then we uh, were kind of thrust into this uh, strange time in our lives, and uh, as we were getting ready for the surgery that was coming up, they scheduled uh, an emergency surgery for a week later. Before she even met the surgeon or the oncologist, um, they went ahead and just scheduled the surgery because uh, it was more serious than even we do then. Um, but as she was getting ready to do that, she was getting stressed a little bit because she wanted to make sure that her family and close friends would be able to keep up on her condition. And um, she was trying to figure out how to do like a phone tree or how to do emails or I told her, you know, honey, I'll just, I'll take care of it. You don't worry about it. Um, and so I, I set up a Facebook group. And I made it a secret group because I figured there'd be, you know, some private things that we'd be talking about. And according to the secret group rules, you're not supposed to be able to find it on Facebook and people can't forward or share any of the posts or anything like that. Um, I put about 20 people in the group and, and I started. And what I didn't realize was that any had so many people who considered her family and friend that uh, more people kept asking to be added to the group and more and more. And after a while, there were, there were hundreds of hundreds of people who just were praying for Amy and supporting her and helping her and uh, listening to my strange updates every day of what was going on in uh, cancer land. And so um, they were not supposed to be able to share the, the posts, but they... Um, they figured out that they could copy my posts and then paste them into their own uh, Facebook feeds and, and share them that way. And so um, we tried to figure it out at one point. But it, after a while, there were probably six or 7,000 people who were reading every day about um, my wife and what was going on with her uh, cancer journey. And, you know, some of that stuff just wasn't pretty. We are talking about, well, Amy needs to fart today, her... Uh, Bowels are locked up, and the doctors won't let her out of the hospital unless she can pass gas. You know, it's like this is spreading to thousands of people all across the nation. Um, but you know, we had we started it. I told Amy, um, I said, "Here's the deal. I'm gonna, I'm just gonna tell the truth, and then we'll let the chips fall where they may." Where they may. She said, "That sounds like the right thing to do." So that's what we did, and uh, she uh, she lived for 13 months after the diagnosis, and then she finally passed away in September of 2016. When I was reading through your book, I was so amazed that you had the strength and the fortitude to every day answer the questions and to give the updates. So you're sitting there with your wife who's going through the procedures and you're waiting for the doctors to hear back on the reports and you're not getting good sleep either, yet you have so much love and so much spirit that you are willing to update the social media. How how were you able to carry that on? Well, I, you know, I had promised Amy that I would do it. And so um, it was important to her that her friends and her family would be able to keep up to date. Um, and so I just I'd go through the day and do whatever needs to be done. And then I would just try to make sure that by the end of the day, I, I let her friends know. Um, and what they did, those people on Facebook, it was, it was really not... Um, well, you know, from my perspective, it wasn't fair because when I first started doing it, it was this obligation that I had to do. 
um, because I loved my wife and I wanted her to know that, that her wishes were being taken care of. But as time went on, these people were just so careful and loving and kind toward us, and um, they just they just gave of themselves for so long time that she was ill and even after she was ill, they kind of made me need them. And that was just not fair, if you ask me, uh, because I wanted to just curl up in a ball and hide, and yet um, I found such hope in their prayers and in their encouragement that I just had to keep going back after a while. I'm talking with Mike Napa. His book, The Hard Way Home, A Woman's Inspiring Battle with Cancer and the Lives She Touched. So the forward of this book, there's a very special forward by the Grammy Award-winning musician James Taylor. And share us the story of the video. <laughs> so um, we had gone through chemotherapy and we had come to the end and we thought she was in remission. Uh, she was supposed to be in remission and not have she was supposed to not have to have any real trouble for at least three years, maybe as many as five years. And um, we, uh, we found out about six weeks, six to, six to eight weeks after uh, she was supposed to be admission that the cancer had not only come back, it had come back more aggressively than it was originally. And, and um, you know, the end of April 2016, and we realized at that point that her time was limited, that um, we had hoped that she would have at least another year. She ended up having only four or five more months. Um, but at that point, we knew it, we knew it, was, it, was, it was coming to the end. And one of the great things about Amy is that, um, you know, and I, this is something that I, that I saw, and I, I knew it intellectually, but now I know it personally, that first of all, um, you get to the end, it's a great feeling not to have to make peace with anybody or reconcile with anybody. Or, I mean, uh, Amy had no enemies, and she had only love for everyone uh, with whom she'd engaged, and they all had love for her. And that's not to say that people had not been unkind or that had not been conflict in family and friends, but um, Amy never let those things fester. And so she got to the end, and she had no... Uh, no enemies, nobody to reconcile with, nobody to make peace with or ask forgiveness. And that was just such a blessing um, because in that moment then there are no regrets, there are no um, I wish I'd done this, I wish I'd done that. It was only I'm so grateful. And that was one of the things that I really admired about Amy is that when she got to the end, um, she wasn't bitter, she wasn't angry, she just was grateful and that gratefulness just spilled out of her like water uh, out of a faucet. It's such a natural thing because they say that when a person dies, they die the way they live, and that's really true. That was really true with Amy. She had lived a life that was um, grateful and caring and loving and generous, and even in her death, she was that same way, still grateful and loving and caring. The second thing was um, it's an, it was an odd thing, but about five years before, before the cancer diagnosis, maybe four years, I suddenly had this strong compulsion. And I think it would maybe be from the Lord. Um, I can't say for sure, but I feel like it might have been. I, I mean, I had talked for a long time about, you know, the bucket list, the things you want to do before you die. And about four or five years before the diagnosis, I just thought, you know what? 
I want to make sure that Amy, Amy has everything crossed off of her bucket list. And the only way to do that is if I just start doing it now. So she wanted to she wanted to learn how to surf. We had lived in Southern California, but she never learned how to surf. And so I made arrangements for her to go uh, and take a surf trip to surf school with her sister that she loved. And she went, she loved it so much, she went back again the next year. She wanted to uh, have at least one family reunion where all of her, her brother and all her sisters and their families and her parents were all in one place. And so we spent Christmas and made that happen. She wanted to set a passport, but no stamps in it. She wanted to get a stamp in the passport. And so um, we sent her to Guatemala for, not Guatemala, Costa Rica, uh, on a little two-week mission trip, uh, which, of course, she, she loved. And just those kinds of things. And I just kept going down the list and crossing The one thing that I didn't do, and here's my regret, was uh, her favorite music artist was James Taylor, and she wanted to go see James Taylor live in concert. And uh, I on it twice. He came to our area out here in Colorado, and... Both times, I was like, oh, no, it's, you know, it's so far away. It'll be too crowded and outdoor concert. So I made it. And I didn't take her. And then we got to the end, and, and we're talking about, is there anything that you want to do, honey? Anything you want to do before you go? She's like, no, I've really done it all. I just didn't get to do it. She's James Taylor. And she was, like, not mad about that. She was like, oh, just that's what it is. Um, and I thought, well, you know what? At this point, she's just... She's too ill. She can't travel. And we had friends and we had people who would have uh, taken her to any James Taylor concert in the nation. And there's even a point where the people that um, James Taylor's assistant said, look, if you can get her any place uh, where James is, is having a concert, we'll give her backstage passes. We'll, we'll treat her right. We'll give her the, the show of her lifetime. But she was just too ill uh, at that point. She could barely travel, you know, with a mile and a half from my house to the hospital. And I thought, well, you know, I messed that up. Uh, I just, I didn't get her to see James Taylor when I had the opportunity. And if I can't get her to James Taylor, I wonder if I could get James Taylor to her. Um, I, I don't know how to get a hold of people like that. They're big famous people. But I did have several hundred people uh, in a Facebook group who wouldn't do just about anything for Amy. So I stood in the hallway of the hospital one day, and I had my friend take a picture of me with my arms outstretched. And I brought that picture home, and I, I put it on Photoshop, and I photoshopped in a sign that said, Hey, James Taylor, would you know, call my wife and help her feel better? And um, I posted it in our Facebook group, and I said, You know what? Here's a link to James Taylor's Facebook page. Would you be willing to just post this on his page, and you know, maybe someone will see it, and maybe someone will respond to it happens. Next thing I know, there were like 200, over 200 people that just were bombarding James Taylor's Facebook page with my picture. And uh, less than less than 24 hours, his assistant contacted me. He said, hey, Mike, uh, we got your message. And James is out of the country right now, but I promise I will talk to him about this. Now, would you please tell your friends to stop posting on our Facebook page? <laughs> we can't keep up with deleting all those pictures. And... Uh, she was as good as her word, and he came back into the country. Uh, she told him about Amy, and he was so generous. He uh, actually sat down in his studio and recorded a, a video message for her just to encourage her to, um, to tell her that he cared. And he sent that to her, and she was just so happy uh, to 
that. And we were all just all excited. It was just, it was just such a generous thing. Up to that point, I had been a fan of James Taylor as a musician, but now i got to tell you, I'm also a fan of James Taylor as a man because he, he didn't have to do that. He didn't have to do that at all. It's really neat so, when the big people really take their time for the little people, huh? Yeah, and he didn't publicize it. He didn't go around telling people, hey, I helped this woman with cancer for better. He didn't. He just did it privately, and um, it wasn't a publicity stunt or anything. He just he felt compassion for this woman he had never met and um, sent her this video. So after that, we always call him you know, James Taylor, Amy's best friend. Mm-hmm. Taylor. So. Nice. There's anyway, so many things about time, There's it's time for the book. They were kind enough to let me use that as a forward for the book. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's another gift. That's wonderful. I, yeah. When I saw that, I thought that's really special that this person really was so giving of himself because he's probably asked by so many people to do things. And the fact that he was touched, his heart was touched and spirit moved him to help you. Pretty darn yeah. neat. Yeah. We also had, um, we had gone a few months before uh, Amy was diagnosed, we had gone to um, Pixar Animation Studios in, in, in Northern California as press because we interviewed um, Pete Doctor, the director of the movie Inside Up, as part of the press corps for that. And, uh, you know, we spent a total of, what, 15 minutes with Pete Doctor, and that's about it. And it was all just this little interview that we did to write an article. And then after Amy was diagnosed, he found out that she had been uh, diagnosed with cancer. And, my goodness, he um, he sent her a get-well card where he drew some uh, hand-drawn sketches. Uh, his staff sent Amy a little packet of gifts for Christmas that year, uh, t-shirts and pictures and stuff. And then even after um, she passed away, uh, he sent to me a little hand-drawn Get Well card that featured uh, the character of Carl from, from that movie Up. And I thought, you know, this is another guy who nobody knows he's doing this for me. He doesn't have to do any of this. Um, he's just a kind person. Met Amy for 15 minutes and cared enough to just send encouragement my way. And you think you think a lot about people who are famous in Hollywood and wherever, and you're just you're kind of judgmental about their lifestyles and their wealth and their fame. And all that. But there are some people out there who just are nice people, and uh, Amy called it being human. And I, I hope um, that maybe Christians we, we could learn something from that. Sometimes it's okay to do things that gain you nothing uh, only because they're helpful to someone else. Well, look how wonderful you are. You're this spiritual, modest man. You've won all these awards. <laughs> You've 60 books. Um, they're translated into several languages all over the world. The awards you've won are numerous. I don't want to put you on the spot, but, um, you know, you've been on the 700 Club, too. What's that like? Oh, that was fun. They're very nice. Um we went out there, and they just treated us really kindly. And, um, you know, yeah, that was, that was fun. That was fun. See how modest you are? <laughs> <laughs> You're not going to talk about the good snacks in the green room or anything? <laughs> no, they were cheerful, kind people, and we enjoyed uh, spending time with them. Nice. So back to your book, there's this concept. When you end some of your discussions, you say, ready, set, pray. I love that. Yeah. How did how that come to be? Yeah, it's just something that I used to do um, uh, whenever I 
it started out as just something I would tell myself when I needed to sit down and really concentrate on the Lord. I said, okay, Mikey, ready, set, pray, you know, instead of ready, set, go. And um, I honestly didn't even think about it. It was just a natural thing to put into when I was asking for prayer on Facebook. But you're not the first person to notice that. Um, a lot of people started kind of picked that up, and they would start a, uh, they started doing that themselves. They would start talking about how they were going to do this kind of prayer for any of that for and they'd end it with ready, set, pray. Um, so, you know, there's not, it's not like there's T-shirts or anything out there, but, uh, yeah, my little self-habit has kind of, some people have noticed that, yeah. <laughs> Speaking of T-shirts, tell us about the hugging shirt. So Amy was um, going through, uh, going through chemotherapy, and there's always a part of the chemotherapy where her immune system was just really vulnerable to anything. And she was already so sick that for you to add on anything like a cold or a flu or even just, you know, a mild infection could be devastating for her. So it was difficult to have physical contact with her because everything was such a risk of infecting her with when she was so vulnerable. But, you know, Amy was a very loving, affectionate person and um you know we tried very hard to keep things clean and you know people came uh they flew in to see her we made them take a shower before they could go in to actually see her but you know um at some point we have to figure out a way for this woman just to be able to touch people and so i invented the hugging shirt um she had bought me a, a, a when we had gone to disney world a number of years before for our 25th anniversary she had bought me one of the fancy Mickey Mouse shirts, you know, it was like long sleeves and buttoned down and really pretty one. Um, and so I took that shirt and we decided this would be the hugging shirt. Uh, whenever anybody wanted to hug Amy or when she wanted to hug anybody, we would put that shirt on her as kind of a layer of protection and then we would just, you know, mug her as much as we wanted. And then we'd pull that shirt off and I would take it out and I would spray it down with Lysol or put it right in the wash. And we were sort of always disinfected and clean and, um, that became our, our little family joke. Anytime, you know, somebody just needs a little bit of affection, we just put on the hugging shirt. The other people would respond. So it was a it was a good good thing for us. And it made me think. I mean, I wonder what happened if everybody kept the hugging shirt in the house. Just you know, come home from work, you had a bad day, you don't want to be bombarded with all the things that chores that need to be done or what little Johnny did or didn't do that day. You just want to sit down and have a hug or something. It'd be nice if there was a hugging shirt in every house that you just come in the door and put on the hugging shirt and be mobbed by your family. Um, I agree. But anyway, so we did that, yeah. Nice. And then as um, right in the middle of her chemotherapy, I got really sick, and I had to go to the hospital for a while, and we were separated for about a week. Um, and uh, so we, um, I, you know, I came home, and I was desperately ill and sick and weak and everything. It was just the most beautiful thing to have her see her as she opened the door. Um, and she's wearing she's wearing my hugging shirt, and I just thought that was just beautiful. You've been listening to KKPZ thirteen thirty AM, the Truth. Thank you so much to my guest, Mike Napa. He is the author of Hard Way Home: A Woman's Inspiring Battle with Cancer and the Lives She Touched. Until we meet again next week, be excellent to each other. <laughs>